For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Oh, it's a Tuesday edition of Birds 365. You got a couple of Mac and Mac guys hanging out with you. John McMullen, Jody McDonald, another day in Eagle Land. And I still think it's a pretty bright one, Jay Mac. That is certainly something we're going to discuss over the next two hours. We're now a couple of days removed from the draft. I would say it was mostly euphoria for uh, Devonta Smith, which takes you all the way back to Thursday in round number one. But thereafter, uh, more positive than negative. Uh, got a chance to listen to plenty of sports talk radio and go back through my tweets from all the Eagle fans that I got. I would say Eagle fans are mostly still in a pretty good mood as compared to prior to the draft. Uh, what say you? Yeah, I would say certainly with the first round pick, I I think it's uh, 22 hours. Howie Roseman had about a respite. He was popular. And then it got back to normal. Um, But I think overall, look, I say this all the time. You you can predict fan bases around the NFL. I wrote about this on Philly Voice, Jody. And it's perfect. You, You take, I've been talking about it all the time. You take the skill position player, everybody's happy. Um. You take the offensive linemen, they're not that happy. Uh, Even day three of the draft, you know, the most popular pick, Kenneth Gainwell. Why? He's the only offensive player taken big year out of Memphis, projected to be sort of a, a, you know, maybe a third-round pick if he didn't opt out. So you get tremendous value with a skill position player. So bottom line is if you take all skill position players, the fans are going to be happy on the Sunday after the draft. Now, September, week one, <laughs> I don't know if they're going to be happy. But that's how it goes. And, and Philadelphia is no different than any other city in, from that perspective. So do you think they're bummed out in Detroit? Uh, because Everybody's uh, bummed out who took an offensive lineman. Everybody. Now, I, and again, when I say everybody, I, I have to stipulate this. I'm saying most people. Most, I'm saying right. that there's always – uh, smart fans, exceptions to the rule. People really pay attention to it. But bottom line is, you know that, Joe. I mean, people aren't interested in the offensive line, even the defensive line. And Howie Roseman said day three after the draft, that's how we won a championship. That's how we're going to win another championship. Doesn't mean you don't need other players. Just means that's your foundation. That's what the Eagles believe in. It's what they've always believed in. And by the way, they're correct. Right. Uh, if they're bummed out in Detroit because Panay Sewell dropped down to number seven and the Lions lapped them up, well, then shame on the Detroit fans. Uh, I think your general philosophy of give me skill position players and we'll have a party is on point because it not only is the thing that you see on TV the most now in this gambling wagering world in which we live. I, I've been a fantasy football player for 25 years, but it has grown by leaps and bounds. You don't get any points for offensive line exactly. road grading anybody. So and 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 by the way, you bring up Panay Sewell. Detroit fans are probably pretty popular because he was regarded as one of the best players in the draft. 
But the question you have to frame to them, would you rather have Sewell or Jamar Chase? Would you rather have Sewell or Kyle Pitts? The vast majority of fans in Detroit are going to say Jamar Chase, Kyle Pitts, and then get to Sewell. Understood, but they didn't have a crack no. at either of those two but players. But I mean, that type of board. player. So it's Panay Sewell or Devonta Adams is basically uh, Devonta Smith, Smith comes yeah. down to because he was available and he is going to be a uh, and very they say Devonta Smith, by the way. Excuse me? They would say Devonta Smith, the vast uh, majority of them. And you know how much I'm a Smith fan, so I would say I, I don't want to argue because Sewell was, in my books, a higher-ranked player yeah. and certainly a yeah. need. Uh, you want to win in the league, you do need to have a uh, well-above-average left tackle. So uh, I, I would tell Detroit fans, even though you're going to be watching Devonta Smith making highlight plays forever, you want to have a better football team, then you take the guy who can be a five, six, eight-time pro bowler at left tackle. Um, but you're right. How he stuck to his guns after the draft, came out again and said, get used to it because this is what the Philadelphia Eagles do. We've always been a team that builds from the inside out after taking Devontae Smith with their first pick, but they did do heavy work in the trenches again, including Landon Dickerson, their second round pick. So I think he served both masters, as a matter of fact, is one of the reasons why I'm tipping my hat to Howie Roseman. I'm not giving him contract extension, but I'm also not telling him uh, your job is on the line. He did kind of cover all bases with this draft. Uh, most important thing was to get a playmaker, be it on offense or defense, on the outside as uh, you and I kicked back and forth all the way leading up to the draft. But then with nine more draft picks to go, he did get back into the trenches and he did fortify the inside of this football team. Uh, if certain players could stay healthy and stay on the field, I believe he did that. Um, but he, he was able to do two things in this draft. Number one, analyze the roster he has, upgrade where he needed to, but also stay true to the overall philosophy of the organization, which is it's won or lost in the trenches. Yeah, I, I agree with that for the most part. I, I do think it's legitimate to be concerned about cornerback. Uh, that was a significant need entering this draft. I think there are a lot of people focusing on J.C. Horn, Patrick Sertan, Turned out they didn't get an opportunity at either of those players anyway, so it didn't matter, which I think was a little bit of a surprise, at least not a, a, a glaring one, but I think most people thought Horn might be there, uh, one of the two. Uh, didn't work out that way, um, and the Eagles didn't address the position till the fourth round. That was what the kerfuffle was about with Tom Donahue, uh, Tom Donahoe in the draft room. Uh, that everybody talked about and went viral. Uh, but even at that point, Jody, we're talking about Aaron Robinson, the likely slot cornerback in the third round versus Milton Williams. I mean, that's not Deion Sanders. That's not going to give you that kind of help anyway. So, look, if you want that impact player, you got to get him at 10. The Eagles made their decision what type of impact player they want. I know you're happy about it. I think most fans are happy about it. So from that perspective, you know, you can't fill every hole. So the Eagles have to be inventive to fill that cornerback hole. Now, they could go free agency. But, you know, Harry Roseman mentioned something after the draft, Jody. And he pointed back to the Super Bowl season when they made the trade for Ronald Darby in August. Now, people don't think much of Ronald Darby now in Philadelphia because he was so injury prone, was on and off the field. But guess what? He was a big part of that. 
when he did come back from injury. And he was a competent NFL corner. That's what the Eagles need. They don't need Deion Sanders. They need a competent NFL corner opposite, opposite Darius Slay. And I think that's uh, a very fair way to look at it. Darius Slay is going to be a, a big part of this team for the next couple of years. He has to be as per his contract because the Eagles decided to extend him and uh, they need him to be their CB1, uh, to use a overused uh, term in the National Football League these days. Uh, you and I both agree there really isn't such a thing as a shutdown cornerback. You've already uh, used the name of Deion Sanders today, who truly was a shutdown cornerback. The last one for me was probably Darrell Rebus of the Jets, who uh, no one ever threw the ball at. You could basically take half the field away by wherever you said uh, Rebus because teams just wouldn't challenge him. They'd go after the other Eagle cornerback. I don't know that there's any quarterback in the league that would fall into that category and I, I would have loved to see the Eagles get somebody like that. And that's why so much conversation was had about Sertain and Orn before the uh, draft actually took place. But I don't even know if either one of those two guys would rise no. to the level of shutdown corner. I, I said this before the draft, Jody. Um, I thought that it, it, was, it was a bad situation waiting to happen. I think if the Eagles went corner. Uh, at 10 or 12, they were 12, obviously moved up to 10 um, for that reason. And that reason is the, the expectations would have been so high. And you bring up Darrell Rivas. I agree with you. I remember Richard Sherman at the height of his career. There was that one game against Green Bay where Aaron Rodgers didn't even look at him. But I don't think he was a shutdown corner, Jody. I think it was more of a reputation thing. And I don't think you're – just what you said, I don't think it's capable in today's game because everything is against you. But those expectations will remain. So if you take a Patrick Sertain at number nine or a J.C. Horn at number eight, well, in those situations, those fans are going to be expecting a lockdown corner, and they're not going to get it. They're not going to get it because it's not possible. So I think you add that into the mix when you talk about that position. I think the Eagles were wise. They didn't necessarily avoid it because those guys weren't there. Right. But I think it, it worked out well for them. But that's why I would not have used the term shutdown corner for any cornerback taken in this draft because I thought it would have been unfair to him. I just don't know that. And maybe someday in the next two, three, five years, someone will come along and they're so good at the corner position and they come up with as many picks as they do on as few attempts other teams take to throw at them that we truly can say, you know, this guy can actually be a shutdown corner. That's just speculation on my part because it is so difficult. Uh, we will call Devontae Smith a playmaker. And everyone wants to know, uh, and I've been doing this long enough, uh, you too, but uh, me specifically dealing with fans uh, in a uh, sports talk show format, taking calls, everybody wants a comp. 
Everybody wants to know someone that a mm-hmm. player looks like who they already have a grasp on, that they know, that they've already set a bar with their accomplishments in the National Football League, either short-term or long-term. And it is oftentimes difficult to compare them to someone who's either still playing or someone who had played 35 years ago. Uh, That gets difficult because of the change in the game and the change in the eras. A lot of people have tried to come up with comps for Devonta Smith. And I don't know that there's a perfect one out there. You rightfully said last week that uh, his ceiling may be Deshaun Jackson, and that's certainly someone that all Eagle fans can relate to because he played the majority of his career, two different stints here in Philadelphia, and undersized, kind of like Devontae Smith, not uh, overly large individual. I actually think Devontae Smith can be better than that. The best comp I could come up with, like you, to try and uh, make it Eagles relatable was Mike Quick, and Quick was a bigger guy and not the same exact receiver as Devonta Smith. I, I did hear about a comparison over the last couple of days comparing him to Marvin Harrison, and I guess that's a Philly thing because Marvin, of course, was a Philadelphia yeah. kid, Roman Catholic. Um, that one, I think, is a bit of a stretch. I'm as big a Devonta Smith fan as you're going to f- have, but do you really want to comp anybody to a Hall of Famer before yeah, their career not, gets underway? Well, you talk about... Uh, setting the bar a little yeah. too high or expectations being yeah. unreasonable. Are we really going to go there with Devonta Smith? Yeah, same thing I said with the corners. When the expectation gets that high, it's probably not going to work out well. But first of all, I think people have to understand comps. You know, I made the Deshaun Jackson comp. It's not about the player. It's not about uh, what he ended up to be. It was about the size and, and the fact that Deshaun played has played, still playing, a long time. Obviously, uh, he, he's been injury prone the last few seasons. Eagles fans know that, but his his uh, career will continue with the Los Angeles Rams this year. He's still playing. So from that standpoint, I think when you look at a 166 pound guy, if you get a career as long as Deshaun Jackson, that's pretty stinking good. Um, so from that standpoint, that's what I said his ceiling was. Uh, as far as playing in the NFL. Now, they're two completely different types of players. Deshaun was is just a, a, a speed demon. I mean, a 4-2-9 guy who just runs by people. Devontae's more of a crafty, route-running, uh, well-rounded receiver. So they're not the same from a, a playing standpoint. Uh, one's the cheetah, as he used to say. And by the way, Deshaun may be. You remember early in his career, Jody would say cheetahs don't stretch. He would just go out there and run. And then all the soft tissue injuries started to happen as he got older. So maybe he's starting to figure that part of it out. But that's where the Marvin Harrison part comes in. Because Marvin Harrison, if you talk to the people in this league, that might be the greatest route runner who ever lived. Now, Devontae Smith isn't that. What he is, is he's the head of the game for most rookie receivers when it comes to route running. And I can't tell you how important I think that is. Uh, Once you hit that bar of being athletic enough to play receiver in the NFL, I think the most important thing from there is route running. And he's way ahead of the game when it comes to that. So that part's positive. Isaac Bruce may be the best comparison because he was a small guy he was a good, really good route runner, and he's a borderline Hall of Famer. He's not Marvin Harris, but 
Marvin Harrison, but he's a really good player. Throw him into the comp mix as well. Obviously, you take parts of the game of all three of them. My only concern, my literally my only concern about Devontae Smith is he's a 166-pound receiver who plays like he's a 200-pound receiver. Yeah. That that's my only concern. I think I I think I made this comp here with you. I don't think I did it on the radio. I think I did with you. Um, and I know they're two completely different players, but uh, just to to make the point I was trying to make, um, Emmett Smith to me was and the reason why Emmett Smith is the all time leading rusher in the history of the National Football League. The biggest being his talent and a very good team offensive line. I, I go through it. Part of it was, and I'll say a a good part of it, maybe not significant, but a good part was Emmett was smart. Emmett knew when to duck out of bounds, when he'd have a yeah. nine-yard run around the end. Rather than drop his shoulder and try and get two more yards, he'd step out of bounds and take nine yards. Oh, okay, that's a bad play, plus nine? I don't think so. And he'd just go back into the huddle thereafter. And he was tremendously smart in being able to do that. And that's why Emmett Smith almost never got hurt over the life of his entire career, even after he went uh, to Arizona from the Cowboys, he still was a guy that you could count yeah. on being available every single Sunday. I think Devontae Smith is that smart a kid that he'll realize after he takes some uh, momentous hits in the National Football League. And yes, even though he played in the SEC, they do hit harder in the NFL. Not that much harder. And that's what some people are feeling. No. Oh, the NFL guys are going to just crush him. Well, the SEC guys are pretty damn big, too. Uh, but he'll take a major shot. Well, you're two. not, and by the way, you're not allowed to hit anymore. So that True. works into his favor as well. You go back a couple of years, and you had those strong safeties uh, patrolling the middle of the field. Then I would sit. Then I'd really be concerned and say, mm, I don't know if this kid can hold up. But you're not allowed to do that anymore. So it's not in the equation, and that's a positive for Devontae Smith. One one uh, last quickie before we punch up our first guest, who, as we told you yesterday, will be Matt Lombardo, who you should recognize, Eagle fans, years covering the birds here, uh, did some talk radio in town. Uh, these days, a giant guy uh, covering them, uh, covering the big blue squad. Um, you mentioned Deshaun Jackson hooking on with the Rams this year. You knew the Eagles weren't going to be, or I said, should say you probably knew, and it's now proven that the Eagles weren't going to pick up the uh, last year of his contract. They negotiated a post-June 1st buyout to give him some salary cap flexibility. I don't know if that was the reason that Deshaun wanted to sign elsewhere. He could have come back here on a more team-friendly deal. Chose not to. I'm, I'm not upset about it. I'm not uh, questioning Deshaun about it. But he ended up signing a uh, contract with the Rams. You think Deshaun's got anything left in the tank? <clears throat> Well, the the two times I've seen him over the past two years, he did. <laughs> but that was it. Then he got hurt. So he can still get behind people. He can still run. Real quick, Alshon Jeffrey was the post-June 1st guy. So Deshaun wasn't. wasn't? No, Deshaun, they just cut. I mean, they had to move on. It wasn't a situation. I thought, I thought they both were. Don't you have Malik two guys you're allowed to do that with? Malik Jackson was the oh, other one. Oh, Malik Jackson was the yeah. other one. Okay, my so, bad. Uh, no, that's mine. But just from a standpoint, look, when he was out there, you remember the, the first game, his first season back, people were so excited because he had the two long touchdowns. 
Then he had the sports hernia stuff, uh, pretty much a lost season, then injured again. But when he was out there, the guy, the guy is the greatest deep threat in the history of football, even over Randy Moss statistically. Now, I think Randy was more dominant, obviously, but, I mean, the guy can run past people. I don't know if he can stay on the field at this point. So I don't know how much that helps you. The Rams are banking on him staying on the field more than he did these past couple of years here in Philadelphia. I think they probably settled for that. All right, coming up next, we get our first guest of the day. You know him from the birds, covered him for years here in Philadelphia. He's the giant guy, writes a lot of national Man stuff. Side, national stuff, yeah. For fan sided, Matt Lombardo is going to join us next here on Birds 365. If you missed any of today's show on the Jacob Media channel, listen to the podcast on your way home. Available on YouTube, Apple, and Spotify. Welcome to the Wildwoods, the perfect place where you can safely do everything or nothing at all. Catch a wave, take a nap, go for a drive, grab a bite. It's your vacation. And we're doing everything we can to make it a safe one. The Wildwoods. Your vacation, your way. Field of life. First Trust Bank is there for you. Because Philadelphia dreams deserve a Philadelphia bank. The International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local Union 98, is a proud sponsor of The Labor Show with J. Doc and Krause every Saturday night from 6 to 8 p.m. IBEW Local 98's highly trained and superbly skilled electricians are the best in the business, setting the highest safety standards in the electrical industry. So when you're planning your next industrial, commercial, or residential project, choose an IBEW Local 98 union contractor. Learn more at IBEW98.org. The light from a star can take millions of years to reach Earth. So when you look at a star, you're looking back in time. But I see the future. I see exploration and courage. I see my country finding new horizons out there. And I see giant leaps making a comeback. I see myself. The future is where I'll make history. Jody Mack. The legendary sports talker joins forces with NFL insider John McMullen. Start your morning with Johnny Mack and Jody Mack across the Jacob Media Network. It is Bird 365, a Tuesday edition. Mac and Mac guys here with you. I'm uh, going to spend a couple of minutes with our first guest talking NFC East more than anything else. Uh, you should recognize him uh, for the years he spent here covering the birds in town. Now he's doing the entire National Football League with a lean to the New York Giants for fansided.com. Matt Lombardo joins us here on Birds 365. Matty, Jody Mac, Johnny Mac here. How are you, bud? 
Jody, John, thanks for having me on. Hope you guys are doing well. Hope you're doing well. Good to see you, Matt. Uh, you know, let's dive right into it. NFL draft. I think it was so interesting because the two teams you've covered in recent years, the Eagles and Giants, so much involved with each other. The Eagles trading up in the first round. When you talk about moving ahead of the Giants to get Devontae Smith, then you have even the third round. I'm sure you saw the kerfuffle in the Eagles draft room, a little bit of a kerfuffle between Howie Roseman, Tom Donahoe. Pretty clear Tom wanted Aaron Robinson. The Eagles kind of tricked themselves out of that, depending to go with the defensive tackle. Milton Williams, your thoughts on the Eagles-Giants sort of igniting even more that rivalry? Yeah, and this rivalry really intensified going back to week 17 last year when the Giants thought that Doug Peterson and the Philadelphia Eagles had tanked that final game to keep the Giants away from winning the NFC East and out of the postseason. But look, I think what happened on Thursday night is Howie Roseman looked at the board, saw how it was playing out, and as I reported last week, and it had been out there a little bit in kind of dribs and drabs, Devonta Smith was the number one player on Dave Gettleman's board. I think Howie Roseman knew that, and you know when he was available, I think that Howie knew that he wasn't getting past number 11. If he was sitting there at 10, he wasn't getting past 11, so he went up and got him, and I thought that was one of the more aggressive moves, and a move that has a chance to pay the highest dividends of any team in the NFL. The Eagles going and get Devonta Smith at number 10 on Thursday night. Uh, I, I think that the Eagles ref kind of fell off on night two and night three, but I thought they were really a big winner because of the aggressiveness. And I thought the Giants in what they did moving back to number 20, they wind up getting Kadarius Toney, who's a playmaking receiver in his own right. But more importantly, they picked up a first round pick next year. And they didn't have to, just like the Eagles didn't have to give up a first round pick next year to go up and get Devonta Smith. The Giants got an additional pick for next season as well. So both teams are really well positioned. I think you talk to people inside the league, the 2022 NFL draft is a lot deeper and people are a lot more certain about next year's class than they were this one. And you look at the Eagles and the Giants, both are all in on their young quarterbacks for now, right? Because if Daniel Jones, when you surround him with Kenny Galladay, Saquon Barkley, Kadarius Toney, Darius Slayton, Sterling Shepard, and now Jalen Hurts dropping a guy like Devonta Smith into that offense with Jalen Rager, Miles Sanders, and Dallas Goddard, it's prove it or lose it time. And if the if Hurts plays well, okay, the Eagles have potentially three first-round picks to build around him. If he doesn't, they have the ammunition to go up and get the number one quarterback in next year's class. Same with the Giants. You know, have two first-round picks, and if Daniel Jones makes the leap, you can continue to build, whether that's on defense, on the offensive line, what have you. And if he doesn't, well, you have two first-round picks to go and get a guy who could be a franchise quarterback. So I really like what both teams did, especially with their night one trades. Damn, you gave us some good stuff there, but I got I to start somewhere. I'll start here. <laughs> I know Giants. where you have to start. <laughs> I bet you don't. Was there any conversation that you know of, believe, sources told you off the record? Did the Giants think about trading up with the Cowboys one spot to definitively get uh, Devonta Smith? If he was their guy all along and he got through nine, the two corners came off the board and people were surprised. Was there any thought that Gettleman would say, listen, the Cowboys could be talking to someone else. Maybe they only want to come back one spot. Let's form a draft pick just to lock in and make sure before somebody jumps ahead, which the Eagles did, and then you get your guy taking it right out from underneath your feet. Do you know if the Giants did or didn't approach the Cowboys about locking in at number 10? 
Yeah, Jody, I, I don't believe those conversations took place. I don't have any sourcing one way or the other on that one. But just knowing how Dave Gettleman <laughs> felt about next year's draft, and, and he talked about it in his pre-draft press conference. He talked to sources inside the team leading up to the draft. Their goal was to add draft capital next year. And if that meant, you know, flipping a future second round pick to move up one spot, if that meant flipping a third or a fourth round pick this year to move up one spot, I don't think that the Giants were all that interested in, in giving up draft capital. But I will give you share this little nugget with you. Dave Gettleman said, following the first round pick during his press conference on Thursday night, that Howie Roseman last week called the New York Giants and took Dave Gettleman's temperature about moving up to number 11 and asked if he felt comfortable trading with him. And Dave said, if it works out for both sides, I'm more than comfortable working on a trade with you. So I think we're going to start to see the stigma, just like we saw the Eagles and Cowboys make a deal, kind of erase the stigma. I don't think we're going to see much of a stigma around trading within the division because teams are now going to be much more focused about what works for them, not necessarily preventing somebody from their division from making a move. Well, let's uh, go down that path, Matt, because I think it's interesting. You bring up uh, uh, the Dallas Cowboys. I mean, that's a trade inside the division. The Eagles are trading with the team in the division. You're a Penn State guy. You know how talented Micah Parsons is. There's another level. I, I don't want to call it. I mean, you can imagine these two teams play twice a year in perpetuity. So Parsons turns into a superstar and you allow the Cowboys to drop back two spots and add extra draft capital, third round pick. That doesn't look good. On on, on the other side of the corn, coin if Devontae Smith is killing the Dallas Cowboys year after year after year that's not going to look good to Jerry Jones how difficult are these trades inside divisions yeah John I I don't know that teams put that much thought into what the other team is going to do with the pick I think they're much more concerned in today's day and age of how their board is stacking up with the value and how much you know, value for the first-round guy matches with the position of need. So I, I don't know how much the calculus with the Eagles moving back was, okay, we need to, you know, go up and get our guy, but we were kind of concerned that the Cowboys are going to draft Micah Parsons. I just don't think it works that way. They're in a situation where they need to find out, just like the Giants, if their quarterback can be the guy, if he can be a franchise quarterback. They just went 4-12, and 12, and that, that's why I don't really like some of the moves they made late in the draft. I thought they took some risks that they didn't need to take with a roster with as many holes as they have. Um, but in terms of what they did in round one, they needed to get one of the wide receivers. And, you know, I, I built out my mock, my mock draft. I got seven of the first eight picks correct. And, you know, the sense that I had going in was that all of those receivers were going top 10. All four were going to be gone, and I include Kyle Pitts in that conversation. And I think that Howie Roseman <laughs> knew that he needed to come away with a weapon for Jalen Hurts so he can evaluate whether he's a franchise quarterback and potentially push this team back towards competing for the playoffs. So I think that was the bigger calculus rather than worrying about what the Giants and what the Cowboys were going to do behind them. Two questions for you, Matt. Uh, Two-parter. Number one, I think you correctly stated that both quarterbacks with Eagles and Giants this year are in prove-me situations. That they've been given the green light. The Giants specifically upgraded uh, talent around him as far as weapons go. Uh, so a lot is going to be asked of him and expectations. And the same with the Eagles uh, going up, getting aggressive. Devontae Smith to be his number one target. Uh, the Eagles aren't married, long-term contract or anything like that to, do, to uh, their quarterback, Jalen Hurts. So you're right. Both are kind of in a prove-it type year. 
the Eagles took Hurts in the second round. The Giants used the sixth pick in the draft on Daniel Jones. And that gives him a little bit, I would think, a little bit more leash. But how long is that leash? If he doesn't come out and play like a top half of the NFL quarterback in this season, would the Giants be willing to move on from Daniel Jones? Next year? Yes. Absolutely. And I think that you just look at what they've invested in him, right? You go out and you spend $45 million guaranteed on Kenny Galladay. You bring in uh, a first-round pick, Kadarius Toney, at wide receiver. You're getting Saquon Barkley back. You have Evan Ingram. You're looking at a top six or seven set of weapons in the entire league now if everybody's healthy around Daniel Jones. And you're looking at a situation where if Daniel Jones falters this year, you'll have a head coach going into his third season. And if you're a head coach in the NFL and you're Joe Judge, if you don't make the playoffs after year two or you regress and your quarterback doesn't develop and you have a general manager who's 68 years old, I just don't see how if Jones doesn't continue to develop, and by continue to develop, I mean 25 touchdowns and eight interceptions and you win eight, nine, ten games. If you don't make that leap, I don't know how with that many weapons around him, you remain married to him in 2022 and beyond. I just don't see it. Uh, Matt Lombardo with us, man-sided NFL insider, does a great job. You know him from town, 97.5, did a great job there, New Jersey Online, covered the Giants as well. Matt, you bring up an interesting point with the quarterbacks because never in this league, we just saw it with the Jets and Sam Darnold, giving up so quickly on a top-five pick. The Eagles just ate $34 million, essentially, of dead money to move on from Carson Wentz, who they put so many assets into building around. Uh, just to get them, forget about the stuff they did afterwards in the contract extension. So when you look at the New York Giants and you say, would they be willing to move on from Daniel Jones in a year and say yes, and you look at Jalen Hurts, the Eagles are giving him one year. Justin Fields is on the board for both of these teams. This is a big-time prospect. Why did neither, it seemed, of these organizations even think about Justin Fields? Yeah, I know the Giants are committed to Daniel Jones at least this year, right? And, and everything they've done has been to build around him. I know that in the building there's a lot of faith and a lot of belief that he will make that leap that I talk about in terms of them remaining committed to him. As far as the Philadelphia Eagles go – that was puzzling to me. It, it really was. But, you know, you look at, at, you know, I guess they look at the second round pick. They look at Devonta Smith and think he's more of a short thing. And Howie Roseman, much like Dave Gettleman, might be playing a little bit of the long game here, thinking that they can build around Jalen Hurts and hope that he develops. And if he doesn't, now you're armed with the draft capital to go up and get a rookie quarterback and drop them into a better situation because the Eagles are a much better offense with a quarterback going into it with Devonta Smith than they are without him. So you're setting yourself up for a softer landing spot for a rookie quarterback if the quarterback you have doesn't step up. But as far as Daniel Jones goes, the Giants are happy with Daniel Jones. They're optimistic that he takes the leap. They've done everything that they can to build around him. But, you know, I, I think that faith has an expiration date if he has another year where he, you know, throws 11 touchdowns and 10 interceptions and they win four or five games. Maddie, let me get your feet on him. I'm not a Daniel Jones believer. I wasn't from the time they drafted him. I didn't think he deserved to go at six. Was I'll give him credit. I was a little surprised that he had a couple of big games 
in his rookie year that you might have said wow about and that, oh, okay, this might be a worthy pick at the top of the draft. Uh, came back to the pack last year. I know Gettleman put a story out this week or Judge put a story out that uh, other mere men would not have been able to play with the injuries that Daniel Jones played with last year. All right, so he's a bit of a tough guy. I'll give him that. I just don't like the kid's stuff. I don't think he's that good. He does not protect the football, either with poor decisions to throw and or uh, fumbleitis <clears throat> that he has. I would bet more against than for Daniel Jones stepping up this year and locking himself in as the guy they're going to pick the fifth-year option up and begin contract uh, negotiations with. Do you think he is the guy, or do you think that uh, the Giants could be looking to change out quarterbacks next year? Yeah, Jordy, not to cop out here, but I think the jury's still very much out on that, right? Because, you know, you look at his rookie season, he played two games with his entire supporting cast fully healthy, Saquon Barkley, Evan Ingram, Sterling Shepard, Darius Slayton. And you look at Saquon Barkley last year, he goes down in week two early in the game. So, you know, you've kind of been in a situation where his receiving core has been Jody Mack, John McMullen, and Matt Lombardo. Maybe a couple <laughs> games Sterling Shepard is healthy for, uh, but he hasn't had his full supporting cast of weapons out there. And I agree that the ball security is a legitimate issue. Now, does that go away when you have a Kenny Galladay, one of the six or seven best receivers in the league, on one side, and you have a first-round pick in Kadarius Toney, and you have Saquon Barkley, and you can kind of dictate the defense is what you're going to do and create some mismatches? I don't know. But, but I think that the arm talent is there. I think he has all the deep ball accuracy that you would want in a quarterback. But but I just think that he needs a full season as much as you can. And it's the NFL injuries happen. People get hurt, and I understand that. But he needs as close to a full season as he can get with his full supporting cast around him before he can make a real judgment on what he is as a quarterback, at least in my opinion. Matt, take out the extra asset for a minute. And that's significant. I mean, getting the extra first-round pick to move down – is a big thing for the New York Giants. But just talking about the player at number 20 overall, I thought that was a little bit early to take Kadarius Tony. I think he's more of a manufactured touch type of player. I think that's really difficult for coaches to keep going back to that in games when the, when the real billets are flying. But I said this yesterday on the show, I love Alojolari at 20, uh, 50, excuse me, if you flip-flop those picks, I'd say they were good picks. In other words, Aziz in the first round, Kadarius in the second round. So ultimately, I think it worked out well for the Giants. But you know got, you know how people look at pedigree, and they're going to look at Tony forever as a first-round pick. There's going to be some pretty high expectations there. Do you think he could live up to it? Yeah, John, I'm kind of in a similar camp. I really liked the kid out of Minnesota, Rashad Bateman, more than I like Kadarius Toney. I think I like Elijah more, a little bit more than I like Kadarius Toney. But you start talking to people around the NFL, and I had an executive tell me that this guy is a yards-after-the-catch monster, that he's a guy that when you get in the football, he's going to make people miss. He has explosive speed. And that's really been the Giants' priority this offseason, right, is adding speed. They signed John Ross in free agency because, you know, you look at that 40-time Never really developed in Cincinnati, but it's that speed at wide receiver that's so dangerous. Tony is, is a similar athlete. And you look at Aziz Ojolari, you know, a lot of people have first-round grades on him. And I yeah. think that, you know, you look at adding the extra first-round pick, to me, and if you listen to Dave Gettleman and his value of the 2022 NFL draft, 
that first round pick was the centerpiece of the trade. It wasn't tw- number 20 and getting Darius Tony. It was getting that first round pick for next year because that's just how much higher the, the NFL feels about the 2022 NFL draft class than they do about the 2021 class. So I like Tony. I think Ojolari was a great value play and plugs a significant hole for the Giants. They didn't really address the edge rusher spot at all in free agency. They let Kyler Fackrell walk. He signed with the Los Angeles Rams. And you just look at, at where they are. Pass rush was a gaping hole on a defense that made significant strides last year. So you got a playmaker in round one, offense outside linebacker who can rush the passer in round two, rather. And I really like what the Giants did overall in this draft. And I thought they were one of the bigger winners. All right, uh, Matt, here comes another tough question. Borderline unfair. You didn't like my last one because you said, I'm not ready. You got to give me one more year to evaluate Daniel Jones. Uh, Let's look ahead. You correctly stated that both of these teams with deals they've made have put stock in the cupboard for next year's draft if they need to. If Jalen Hurts doesn't uh, win the job and prove a confident NFC, if Daniel Jones continues to cough up the football, they both could be big-time players for quarterbacks in the draft next year. Well, who the hell are those quarterbacks? You talk about next year's draft being better than this year's draft. In general, I agree. At the quarterback position, I doubt highly compared to the class we just had selected. I don't know anybody that I would look, oh, this guy's going to be a top five, a meritorious top five pick in the draft. I don't know that one exists. Who are the guys that you think the Giants are saying, yeah, you know, we better get those scouting reports updated because we might be going back into the draft looking for a QB high next year. Yeah, I mean, I think that some of these guys have yet to develop fully, right? And, and, you know, obviously inside the league, they have a lot more of a a feel for this than you or I do because they have their advanced scouts looking at tape all next year. But, you know, Sam Howell out of North Carolina is a guy who had a really nice year last year. I think he's probably going to be in the conversation for the number one overall pick. And you look at, you know, Keaton Slovis from USC. He's another guy that I know there's that stigma around USC quarterbacks that, you know, they don't always develop in the NFL, but those are two guys to keep an eye on. But if you think back to last year, Zach Wilson was a third or fourth round pick if if we were having this conversation last April or May. Trey Lance, that hype train didn't really get rolling until the spring and the summertime. So, you know, I look at the kid out of North Carolina. I look at the kid out of USC. Those are the two to keep an eye on for now. But, you know, you just never know who's going to step up and have a monster year in college football and really help their draft stock. But but you're right. You know, you look at Trevor Lawrence, a generational prospect. I've had some people compare Zach Wilson to Patrick Mahomes and, you know, in terms of just manipulating the pocket in a similar way to the way Tom Brady's been <clears throat> able to do that. So these are high level elite prospects. There'll be one or two. There always are that come out at the quarterback position. But I just don't know that those guys have really emerged yet. And we're going to find out more about them in October, November, December. Yeah, you're right, mate. Uh, Matt and Baker Mayfield, Kyler Murray, same situation. They came up uh, the board. It happens every year in, in the modern NFL. You're going to see quarterbacks rise to the top of the board. Uh, I'm sure you've heard this phrase before, Matt, so I'm going to throw it at you. Get back to the Eagles. You mentioned a couple times you, you like the first-round pick, some of the later-round picks, not as much. What what didn't you like about the Eagles draft hall? Well, I like the Landon Dickerson pick in a vacuum, right? Here's a guy who can be, you know, versatile enough to play center or either guard spot. Didn't allow a sack since 2017, but hasn't really been healthy as the two ACLs. And if you're four and twelve, I, I don't know that you take an offensive guard 
that early. And again, he can step in and be the long-term heir apparent to Jason Kelsey at center, but I don't know if that's the direction you go in with that roster in round two. And then you look at, you know, Taron Jackson, a decent enough pick, but the defensive lineman that they selected, great spider graph, you know, seems athletic, but his production was never there. And I'm always a little bit skeptical of guys like Milton Williamson, who who didn't really have the production to match their athleticism consistently through their career. Um, so that, that was a little bit of a question mark for me. But again, I, I love what they did in round one. And typically, if you hit on your first round pick and he becomes a perennial all-pro, that's all anybody's going to think about in Romania, yeah. right? So if Devontae yeah. Smith is an elite wide receiver, then people are going to look back on this draft pretty, pretty favorably. And I actually think that that trade – being able to move up to get Devonta Smith, not having to give up those future first-round picks to do it, that's the type of move that sustains Howie Roseman's job security in Philadelphia. Matt, I'll follow up Eagles with you as well. You've got a different perspective now covering a different team than when you were in the trenches day in, day out with the Eagles. So maybe you're getting a different view from other people's opinions Nick Sirianni, new head coach of the Eagles, and his staff that he had a big hand in hiring. We don't know what they're going to be like yet. We won't know until they get out there on the field and we start to see uh, plays and designs and results with the Eagle players. But everybody's got an opinion on a guy by what they had done previously and the personalities that they show in their media availabilities. Both John and I like Nick because he's very enthusiastic. But does that mean he can coach? No, it doesn't. Um, your sources, your feel, Nick Sirianni, first-time coach with the Eagles, good, bad, or indifferent? I know this, Jody. He was very popular inside the Indianapolis Colts organization. He talked to people in the aftermath of him getting hired by the Eagles. and People said he's a bright guy, a rising star in the coaching community, kind of a brilliant offensive mind, and he's a guy that motivates people. And you see that in the press conferences, right? You see the high energy. You see the, you know, you can tell that, He's a guy that relates to people, and the Eagles have had some bad coaches who have struggled in that department, you know, over the last few years uh, prior to Doug Peterson. Uh, but, but you know, people who have worked with Sirianni in the past seem to like him, seem to think he has a lot of upside as a coach. You know, it always remains to be seen. You know, I, I walked into training camp last year, and I saw Joe Judge take the names off the backs of jerseys, you know, had players and coaches running <clears throat> excuse me, running laps as punishment for mistakes on the field during training camp. And you're thinking, okay, these are NFL players. You can't treat them that way. He's gonna, they're going to turn on him. And by week eight or nine, the Giants are all in. There's a culture that's being built, and you saw <clears> them <throat> kind of getting better as the season went along. So, you know, that initial feel, you don't always – you can believe it. But you don't always have to trust it. You know, Joe Judge proved me wrong. And maybe he Nick Sirianni winds up proving my sources and, and the two of you guys correct. Uh, but he could go out there and be the most energetic and enthusiastic guy yeah. in the world. And if the players don't buy in, it's not going to work. So time will tell. But I think that he um, has is very popular with people who work with him. And I, I tend to carry some weight with that. Matt, I do want to get uh, your thoughts on the other two teams in the NFC East and their halls in the draft. From my perspective, I think the Washington football team uh, did the best job overall in the division. But your thoughts on on Washington and the Dallas Cowboys, the halls they were able uh, to secure in this draft? 
Yeah, I really like what the Cowboys did. I know that they're catching a lot of flack because of the trade backs and not really getting value. But you're dropping a perennial all-pro inside linebacker with Micah Parsons as your first-round pick. It allows you the flexibility, as we saw with Leighton Van Der Esch. They didn't pick up his fifth-year option. Who knows if they're going to bring him back. They added some offensive line depth late. They drafted a couple of cornerbacks, which I thought you know was their biggest need on their defense. And you know they're looking at it as – they have Dak Prescott, they have Ezekiel Elliott, they have Amari Cooper, you know, they have C.D. Lamb. They have all the weapons they need on offense. They need to build out that defense. And for better or worse, I love the commitment to trying to build out that secondary in this year's draft. And as far as Washington goes, look, I thought that they were in a position where they had they have the best front seven in the league. They draft one of the two or three best linebackers in this class making a strength even better. I thought they added a couple of nice pieces on offense, a couple of offensive linemen. And my sense watching them is there's an adult in the room now. That, yeah. that it's, not, it's not Daniel Snyder giving up his whole draft to go and take Albert Hainsworth. It's, it's a head coach in Ron Rivera who you know has a vision, has a plan, has a mentality that he wants his football team to resemble. And I thought the picks that they made really embodied that strategy. Matty, I got one more giant question for you. Uh, we all kind of like their draft. Um, I think John's point about if they took their second rounder in the first and their first round in the second, people wouldn't question it as much. Doesn't matter. They got two players that I think were uh, upgrades for them this upcoming season. They didn't address the offensive line. And they have over the last couple of years, they gave Soldier a lot of money. They used their first round pick last year on an offensive lineman kind of had an up and down year soldier opted out last season they didn't draft anybody this year so it's kind of <laughs> guys we already have here we expect them to be better is that legit can that happen how would you say the giants are right now stacked up on their own line i think it's the biggest question they face other than daniel jones's development quite honestly and you look at last year it was kind of a disaster you you, you fire your offensive line coach you know, halfway through the season at the bye week. And, you know, you, you watch Will Hernandez, who was a third-round pick, seems to have really regressed. You drafted Shane Lemieux in the fifth round last year, hoping that he could develop into a starter. Pro Football Focus gave him an overall grade of like 31.2. So, you know, his rookie year didn't go all that well. I know they're very optimistic about Matt Pert. They think that he has a chance to be a bookend tackle. Obviously, they believe that after not taking a tackle this year, after taking Andrew Thomas at number four overall a year ago. I like Andrew Thomas. I think he has a lot of upside. I don't think that you can play that well in the SEC and not develop. Um, but they obviously are higher on that position group inside the building than people on the outside are. I don't know that it's going to, you know, play out that way. I, I think that they should have taken an offensive line. I'm kind of surprised that they didn't take a lineman, but we're going to see here. And, and you have Pat Flaherty coming in as an offensive line coach, a veteran guy. I think the Giants believed that a lot of their issues last year stemmed from coaching and not talent. New coaches, same talent. We're going to test that theory, it seems like. All right, Matt, last one from me. Uh, good to see you, by the way. Check out guys. Matt's work at Fansided NFL. Does a phenomenal job. Biggest story in the NFL, Aaron Rodgers, uh, what he seems to be trying to do, and that's to get out of Green Bay. I still think Denver is the most likely scenario. Your thoughts on what's going on with the Packers and the best quarterback in football? Yeah, I think Aaron Rodgers has thrown his last pass in Green Bay, John. And, you know, I, I was speaking to sources around the league on Thursday afternoon. I couldn't source up and shore up whether or not a formal offer was made. Later reporting came out and said that it, there was no formal offer made. But 
I know that the 49ers were in conversations on Thursday afternoon an hour or two before the draft, before they took Trey Lance with the Green Bay Packers about Aaron Rodgers. And you just look at the way that the Denver Broncos operated in their draft class. They had the chance to take Justin Fields. You talk about Mm -hmm. the Philadelphia Eagles and Daniel Jones. They're less married to Drew Locke than either of these teams are to their quarterback, and they passed on Fields. They drafted Patrick Sertain, arguably the best cornerback in this class. They have a lot of weapons there, and I think that Denver is a spot where you could potentially see a trade. I also think a team like the Las Vegas Raiders, a lot of skills, a lot of skill position power there. You have, you know, Darren Waller, Henry Ruggs, you know, Josh Jacobs in the backfield. The Raiders make a lot of sense. I think that Aaron Rodgers winds up getting moved. It wouldn't surprise me if it happens closer to training camp, though. Uh, fair enough. I'll follow up there then. What's the chance the Packers call? Uh, Aaron Rodgers bluff and they uh, don't get what they think they should get in exchange for him as far as offers go that this was a rush thing leading up to the draft can they get something done now they're all stepping back and hoping cooler heads prevail at least that's what I believe from the Packers side it sounds like all three of us agree that's not happening uh, there's been some bridges burnt here but at some point if you're the Packers do you just say Well, Aaron, if you want to retire, you can retire, but we expect you to show up to camp. We can't get what we want in exchange for you. We tried, just not working, big guy. Sorry, either show up or get ready to write that check to return some of that bonus money to us uh, if you're thinking about retiring. Will the Packers call his bluff? I mean, the bonus money is a really interesting component to all this, right? Because, you know, on face value, that's a risk if I'm the Packers, I don't think I'm going to take unless I'm in love with Jordan Love because Aaron Rodgers can just say, okay, I'll go host Jeopardy because he seems like he has the temperament and the mentality that when he's done with something, he is done with it. There's no going back. And I feel like we're, we've approached, if not crossed that tipping point with the Green Bay Packers and with the organization. Uh, but by the same token here, the Packers don't have a lot of motivation to trade him. And, you know, you talk to people around the league And the sense is you can have disgruntled, unhappy players, but at the end of the day, he's the reigning MVP. He's 39 years old, but he's coming off a career high in touchdowns and over 4,200 yards in passing. You need to find a way to make it work. And unless the Packers believe that Jordan Love is their future, they should be all in on either trying to trade Aaron Rodgers to recruit an asset or mend the fences. And, you know, I I think that if they call his bluff, he, he might just take it, to be honest, because I don't think that that's a situation that he's all that thrilled about going back to. And he's 39 years old. You know, he has a Super Bowl ring. What more does he need to prove if he's not going to get the opportunity to prove it somewhere else? Read his NS- NFL stuff, read his giant stuff. And yes, he even sneaks some Eagle stuff in there every once in a while. I'm fan-sided. Matt Lombardo, we appreciate you hopping on board with us. Good to see you, bud. We will stay in touch. You got it, guys. Thanks for having me on. Matt Thanks, Lombardo man. here with us on Birds 365. I come back. I got a couple more questions for Johnny Mack about Aaron Rodgers. We'll continue our draft evaluation. Eric Edholm from Yahoo is going to join us next hour. Uh, one of their lead draft guys. We had Eric on before the draft. We'll get his thoughts after the draft. But I want to ask Johnny Mack another Rodgers question or two. Coming back next here on Birds 365. If you missed any of today's show on the Jacob Media channel, listen to the podcast on your way home. Available on YouTube, Apple, and Spotify. Welcome to the Wildwoods, the perfect place where you can safely do everything or nothing at all. Catch a wave, take a nap, 
go for a drive, grab a bite. It's your vacation, and we're doing everything we can to make it a safe one. If you missed any of today's show on the Jacob Media channel, listen to the podcast on your way home. Available on YouTube, Apple, and Spotify. Welcome to the Wildwoods, the perfect place where you can safely do everything or nothing at all. Catch a wave, take a nap, go for a drive, grab a bite. It's your vacation, and we're doing everything we can to make it a safe one. The Wildwoods, your vacation, your way. Field of life. First Trust Bank is there for you. Because Philadelphia dreams deserve a Philadelphia bank. The International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local Union 98, is a proud sponsor of The Labor Show with J. Doc and Krause every Saturday night from 6 to 8 p.m. IBEW Local 98's highly trained and superbly skilled electricians are the best in the business, setting the highest safety standards in the electrical industry. So when you're planning your next industrial, commercial, or residential project, choose an IBEW Local 98 union contractor. Learn more at IBEW98.org. The light from a star can take millions of years to reach Earth. So when you look at a star, you're looking back in time. But I see the future. I see exploration and courage. I see my country finding new horizons out there. And I see giant leaps making a comeback. I see myself. The future is where I'll make history. Jody Mack. The legendary sports talker joins forces with NFL insider John McMullen. Start your morning with Johnny Mack and Jody Mack across the Jacob Media Network. Tuesday edition of Birds 365 with your Mac and Mac guys, John McMullen and Jody McDonald, as I just mentioned before the break. Eric at home from uh, Yahoo Sports Draft NFL Insider will hop aboard with us coming up in uh, a little over 20 minutes from now. Um, but we finish up with Matt Lombardo talking about Aaron Rodgers. Um, no, I don't believe Aaron Rodgers. Uh, you want the percentage chance Aaron Rodgers is an eagle. 0.0.0.09. You never say zero, 100% zero, but it's very, very, very slim, uh, mainly because I don't know that Rodgers wants to come here. And why would you give up what you're going to have to give up to get Aaron Rodgers to get a guy who really doesn't want to be here? No knock on the city of Philadelphia. I think it's more a geographical thing that he wants to be on the West Coast, but that's just me. Um, about Aaron Rodgers in Green Bay. Is there anyone that can mend those fences? Maybe the question is better asked, who would be the lone guy who could potentially 
get these two sides back together because right now, uh, John, the rift seems to be amazingly wide and widening. <clears throat> yeah, I don't think it's possible. And that's what I keep hearing. And you just heard it from Matt as well. You, you think about Aaron and his personality and how he's handled things in his past. And Matt probably put it better than I did yesterday. When he's done with something, he's done with something. He's one of those people that just closes the door and looks toward the next thing. And I don't see any evidence of him ever changing his mind when he closes that door. So that's the difficult spot the Green Bay Packers are in. And I don't know how they fix it because, you know. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger. Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Jody, bottom line, this team is 13-win team, Super Bowl contender. Without them, Six, seven win team, not even making the playoffs. That's the kind of chasm we're talking about with the Green Bay Packers. And it could get even worse if Jordan Love is just not capable of playing whatsoever. Then I, I don't know how they fix it. What, what are you hearing on Jordan Love? I heard from one specific uh, NFL uh, media person that I think is fairly well tied in uh, and would have good sources that the Packers have not changed their opinion on Jordan Love. There's a reason why they moved up in the first round to take him, that they yeah. thought he had the capabilities of being a franchise quarterback in the league, but that after having him a year in the system under their belts, they just don't think he's ready. They think that the potential and all the capabilities are still very much there. They haven't soured on him at all, other than maybe they were hoping he would come along a little quicker. Well, you're not going to get to come along when Aaron Rodgers is your starting quarterback. You're not going to no. get into a game. How many preseason games did they play last year? Zero. So he didn't get to showcase anything there that if they needed to, they would tentatively turn it over to love, but they're not as sure as to whether he could step in and keep them no. as a playoff contender. Uh, that's the way it was put forth yesterday. I have no reason to disbelieve that. You? No, I have no reason to disbelieve it. You're right. How could they know? No preseason, no offseason. Forget about preseason. Uh, uh, training camp was scaled back. So, you know, I think you go back to when we had Andrew Brandt on the show. Remember, he was in the uh, the change from uh, Brett Parp to Aaron Rodgers. Remember what he said. Brett would go home to Mississippi every year. And it was that offseason where the Packers figured out Aaron Rodgers can play. Aaron Rodgers can lead this team. He's really good. He's really talented. They could see him as a leader. The players would say, this kid's got it. They don't have that with Jordan Love. They haven't had it to this point. So it's really difficult to understand what they have with a potential heir apparent. We know he's got talent. Um, because of where he was drafted, how he was evaluated by people around this league. But, yeah, I mean, there's no way they could have any inclination 
and he's certainly not ready to take over for Aaron Rodgers. But I will say this, Jody, if if you go back to the the far passing the baton, and certainly wasn't passed, uh, he moved on. And by the way, had his greatest season ever in Minnesota, believe it or not, statistically. Mm. Best statistically, he was he was uh, an interception away from the Super Bowl. Uh, however, it it you know. They knew what they had in Aaron Rodgers. Aaron, uh, uh, Andrew Brandt made that clear. They don't know what they have in Jordan Love. So if you're Matt LaFleur and you're sitting there as a third-year head coach, and by the way, we talk about power with the Eagles coaches. The Packers coaches have no power at all when it comes to personnel decision. I mean, zero. I mean, they're not in the it, – it, it is the traditional setup in, in Green Bay. The GM takes the players, gives them to the coach who coaches them, and the players play. That's how it works. That's how it's always worked. It's not changing. And Aaron wants involved in that process. There's no common ground here. None. You laid it out pretty well that the Packers have a specific system in place and everyone stays in their lane. Uh, But here's the issue. I think the one guy and uh 50-50 toss up, what kind of percent you put on? Oh, I'd put it down there at less than 5% chance that this this uh position could be rectified and or saved if you're a Packer fan who wants to see Aaron Rodgers stay put. The only one who could possibly bridge this gap and be able to put enough salve on the wounds would be Coach LaFleur. I think the front office says. Zero, not the 0.0, zero chance of doing it on their own, either their president and or their general manager. We know that Aaron can't, or at least it's being widely reported, and I think accurately, that Aaron Rodgers doesn't like the general manager a little bit and may have even hinted that if you were to fire him, it would help uh, the chances of me deciding to come back to Green Bay. Um, I don't think either one of those guys has any chance of sitting down with either uh, Rogers or his agent and and talking it through, but Lafleur should. Lafleur has come in. You don't, don't think so? That. I don't even think Aaron Rodgers thinks Matt Lafleur is a peer. I I don't think he has any respect for him whatsoever. I think it's his team. He thinks it's his team. He thinks it should be his team. He thinks the coach should get out of the way. He thinks the GM should listen to him. He's crazy, but that's how good he is. Um, I don't think he from day one. I don't. I think Matt Lafleur is there for a reason, and that's just to stay out of the way. I don't think he has any respect for Matt Lafleur whatsoever. Whatsoever. Mm-hmm. If if you're right, and you may very well be. A uh, couple of things. Number one, I just face value disagree with Aaron Rodgers. I think Matt LaFleur's system has been pretty damn good for Rodgers. He won the MVP this year in Matt LaFleur's system. Now, he can well, I would argue he sure. wants, but That's it's the argument. surely done on his own, but somebody is sending in the place to him. He's not checking off every single that. play. I don't know about that. You can run things in the modern NFL to line of scrimmage. The best ever was Peyton Manning. The Colts admit it. I mean, Peyton Manning ran that offense. Uh, in, in Denver, he ran that offense. Adam Gase should send him royalty checks. 
I, he did everything at the line of scrimmage. Aaron Rodgers does what the hell he wants, and he does it really, really successfully. That's what's created this monster. Now, now look, Jody. Look, it, you need a game plan. I, I'm not saying Matt LaFleur is a figurehead, but this is not a strong Bill Parcells-like head coach. This guy was brought in for a reason to acquiesce Aaron Rodgers, who had soured on Mike McCarthy. Nothing wrong with that. Guys had tremendous success doing it. There's all different types of coaches. They'll need a different type of coach. LaFleur will need to shift. If they do go with Jordan Love, he'll he'll really be tested, uh, and we'll see what he is. But if you're thinking Matt LaFleur is going to talk to Aaron Rodgers out of anything, boy, that's just not going to happen. Well, I didn't – maybe <laughs> I didn't state it well enough. I don't think he's going to talk him out of anything. I think he's got to win him over. I think he's the only guy who can go in – and throw his arms around him and tell him he's the greatest quarterback of all time. And we can't live without you and do a sales job on Aaron Rodgers. Not try and outthink, outtalk, outmaneuver Aaron Rodgers. Just basically be the guy who says, you and I, are you kidding? I've been riding on your coattails for two more years, Aaron, and the Packers need you. We can't move forward without you. These upstairs guys, they, they think they know football. But you and I, buddy, we <laughs> stick together. We can play to get – we can actually get over that hump and get a Super Bowl and take these last two years of coming up short. And, oh, by the way, I probably should have given you a ball on fourth down, down by the goal line to see if you could tie it rather than kick the field goal. Eat a little crow there if you're Matt LaFleur. He's the only one who has a chance. I'm not even saying it would work. I think it's a small chance, well, but he's got a chance, whereas no one else in that organization does. I agree with you. I mean, that's what he should do because whatever he's got, 26, I don't know how many wins he's got through two years. That's pretty historic for a second year head coach. Yep. Um, it'll take him 26. It'll take him maybe four or five seasons to get to 26. So he better do everything humanly possible to try to get Aaron Rodgers back or his reputation is going to sink pretty quickly. Um, so I agree with you. He should do every, and he is, he is doing everything possible. He's got no involvement in these personnel decisions. He had no idea they were taking Jordan love. He had no idea. Um, so he can go there and say with conviction, look, you're my guy. Devonte Adams can do it. But what Matt said rings true to me. This is a guy, even in his personal life, shuts doors. You know, it's famous. He doesn't talk to members of his family. He shuts doors. He has shut the door on Green Bay. It's only a matter of how Green Bay takes it. Do they understand it and trade him? Or do they go the Cincinnati route with Carson Palmer, call his bluff, say, okay, retire. If they do that, I think he'll retire. All right. Uh, let me take you here next. You mentioned uh, Pete Manning and the fact that he was a guy who had as much hands-on control, play in and play out, maybe more so than any other quarterback before or since. And you're saying Rodgers is somewhat similar in that vein. We are admitting that he's a prickly guy and a tough guy to get along with if you're a coach or if you're a general manager, or any one of 
import in an organization, you better be ready to say, yes, Aaron, no, Aaron, whatever you need, Aaron. What can we do for you, Aaron? Will that hinder his ability to join another football team? Will some teams blanch and go, listen, we love the talent. We know how good he is. But you mean we've got to do this, that, and the other thing? If we get Aaron Rodgers, our quarterback, and oh, by the way, the Packers won three first-round draft picks? Yeah, well, I no, will we'll say, pass. you know, the most interesting landing spot to me would be the Raiders because of John Gruden. Nobody falls out of love with quarterbacks quicker than John Gruden. How do you fall out of love with Aaron Rodgers? I don't know. I would love to see it. I would love to see that pairing. I know Denver, one of the reasons he would like to go to Denver is because John Elway is there. There are a few people on this planet that know what it's like to be the best quarterback in the world. John Elway is one of them. John Elway will cater things to Aaron Rodgers, just as he did for Peyton Manning. I think that's why he's really interested in the Denver Broncos. And by the way, I think that would be a great fit. You know, I always give you my stories. I, you know, my favorite ever story in the NFL is from Tom Moore, um, who used to be the offensive coordinator uh, with the Colts, which is essentially, and Tom's a great coach, but essentially, you know, is the uh, right-hand man of the real offensive coordinator, Peyton Manning. So, on one of their runs, a, a reporter asked Tom Moore, "Why don't you, uh, why don't you get the second team? I think it was Jim Sorgi at the time. Why don't you get him some reps in practice, just in case? You know, back then you could watch all the practice. And and Tom Moore gave the greatest NFL quote of all time, or second to uh, perhaps John McKay, but in my mind, it's first." And he said, if 18 gets hurt, we're fucked, and we don't practice fucked. <laughs> Greatest quote of all time. We don't practice fucked. That is a great quote. I've never had – how did I miss that one from you before, uh, John? Well, because you can't say it on the radio with yeah. me, so you can say it here on, on YouTube. Um, and for those who don't know, please feel free to share the McKay quote. I'm guessing 95% of our audience already knows it. But for the 5% who don't, uh, up until that uh, quote that you just gave us, I always believed it was maybe the greatest quote in the history of the NFL. Tell the McKay story for the Well, players. John was could have been a stand-up comedian. So obviously he was the, the first coach of the expansion Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So there wasn't a lot of winning going on. And obviously, as you know, Jody, uh, execution is a big term around the football world and somebody asked john mckay about his team's execution and he just said i'm all for it (laughs) (laughs) that is an all-time great quote and you're right mckay was uh while he was a very good coach he was actually a better college coach and he was an nfl coach but you're right he didn't have a whole hell of a lot of talent with an expansion team anyone who had expectations of that first buck team was just being completely unfair but I still will say he was a better college coach and he was an NFL coach. Uh, that is one of the greatest quotes of all time. Uh, yes. Real quick, though, Jody, because we just had Matt on and we're talking about quarterbacks going at the top of next year's draft. I thought it was interesting, so I want to throw this out at you before we get Eric at home. Um, 
Dane Brugler from The Athletic put out his 2022 mock draft, which is ludicrous at this point. But nonetheless, people like these things. Yeah. Top 10. Top 10. He's got four quarterbacks. Four quarterbacks. Number one, Spencer Rattler, Oklahoma. Number two, Sam Howell, North Carolina, who Matt mentioned. We've mentioned before. Number six, I don't even know who this is. By the way, going to the Philadelphia Eagles. Malik Willis, quarterback, Liberty. Who? Liberty. Who? Malik Willis, the Liberty quarterback, is going to be he, a top uh, hold 10 on, pick. Hold on, hold on, hold on. I got to jump in here. Uh, Dane Brugler, who I actually had on my CBS show once. One of our producers kind of liked him and booked oh, him. I never, I'd he's never great. had him on before. He, uh, from what I remember, he gave me a pretty good spot, but I don't, I couldn't recall and tell you exactly what he said. But it was okay if uh, memory serves. Um, he actually suggested that the Eagles had the best draft in the National Football League. Yeah, I agree. I didn't agree with that. I did not. Hello. Yeah. So maybe he feels he overstated how good their draft was. And just to balance the scales, he feels the need in his 2022 mock draft to give him the quarterback from Liberty at Liberty. the sixth pick in the draft. Yeah. Is that what you're saying, McMullen? I, I am saying that. So blame, blame Dane, but Dane's draft guide is one of the best. It's called the beast. If anybody, oh, we got it. it. There you go. We before the show started today, uh, Jay Mac handles most of the bookings. Uh, he reaches out, gets the guys to come on as the guest for the show. Every once in a while, I'll chip one in, Xander or land one. But Johnny Mac is the main booker and does a great job with it. Uh, evidence the first uh, weeks we've done this show. He said, "You got any ideas? Wait, you need to get them all done. You got any ideas? I after the show. Oh no, I don't have to wait till after the show. Dane Brugler tomorrow." McMillan, get on that ASAP at 1001. Right. Start to investigate, get a cell, get an email, get a number. We need to get him on tomorrow, number one, because he said the Eagles had the most interesting slash best draft that's of anyone else. That's and a Liberty you... quarterback? Are you kidding me? Yeah, that's I will why tell you're... you right now. Rattler, he didn't have Howell up there, or did he have Howell? No, too? he had Howell, uh, Howell at number two okay. overall. So he had Rattler number Who was one. Who the fourth? Howell, number two, um, the the fourth quarterback who would be going number 10 overall is JT Daniels from Georgia. JT Daniels. So he, he's not a Keydon Slovis fan from USC. Doesn't have him going in the top 10, huh? Well, we got Phil Jerkovich uh, from Boston College, who was a Notre Dame transfer. He's going 15. Uh, let me see if there's any other corners, uh, t -t 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 uh, quarterbacks. Uh, down to 28, 29, 30, 31. That's it. So he doesn't have Keaton up there. Ooh, no. that says something. Um, I just, it, do you want to take uh, Rattler because he was the number one overall pick? Is that what you said? Yes. As per, uh, uh, if you put him in this year's class, He's no better than sixth. You want to go to Sam Howell next? He's his second, second guy. If you put him in this year's class, for me, he's no better than fifth. All right, because I didn't get a chance to see Trey Lance. And I understand that Trey Lance could turn into the best quarterback in this draft, or he could be a Carson Wentz. Come on, flash. Uh-oh, something goes wrong. The drop-off. I, uh, 
I don't want to do that to him, but you have to at least consider it a possibility. I might slot Howell in at number five, but just as easily could go six. The Liberty Kid might Malik be Willis. Come on. You've he, never seen him play. That's not I fair. have not seen him play. That's exactly right. So I'm putting him behind all these other guys who were drafted, the second wave of quarterbacks who were taken at the end of the second round at the top of the third round. I'll put him ninth in the mix. Now, the fair thing you got to say is I would have had Joe Burrow about ninth in his draft yes, class the year before. Exactly. He went out, won the Heisman, played himself up to the number one pick. I would have had uh, Zach Wilson about ninth before this uh, final year, and he played himself into the second round. So, yes, I get it. Maybe Liberty goes nuts this season, and uh, their quarterback is meritorious of a first-round pick. Got to wait and see it. But this is what we do. We try and figure out where guys are going to go, even a year in advance. I'll tell you right now, this year's class is going to laud it over next year's class when it comes to quarterback play. When you and I, in our 10th year of Birds 365, are looking back and comparing the quarterback class of 2021 to 2022, oh, I'm going to take 2021 in a laugher. <laughs> we well, see. look, people have called this quarterback class historic. So what I don't think, because there's not going to be a Trevor Lawrence, let's be honest, number one, uh, I don't think they're going to be saying that about next year's class. But I will say some of these guys are going to improve in your eyes because they are going to have a year to play. They are going to have a year to develop. And the Spencer Rattlers of the world, the Sam Howells of the world, I keep hearing Sam Howell. I think you're going to like that kid when you get to see him, Jody. Number Damn. one, I don't know about Malik Willis. I, I know nothing about him. Uh, JT Daniels. But you know it happens every single year. Somebody rises up the board, and it's going to happen again. Here's why, uh, and we, we've got a, uh, another guest coming up here that we're going to punch up in a minute. Um, uh, our buddy Eric at home from uh, Yahoo Talk Draft. And we'll ask him about next year's quarterback class. Here's the thing about Sam Howell. I actually watched some North Carolina games this past year for a very specific reason. I had a lot I always, of talent. I always a lot watch, of talent. I always watch uh, college football games for two uh, purposes. Number one, to see the teams actually compete and perform and who can get on the air and talk about, can you actually get into the conversation for a Final Four playoff spot, but also with a half an eye on what kind of NFL player I think they're going to become. So I did that with Carolina this year, but they're two running backs. I wasn't tuning in to see their quarterback. And I saw how, and he did make some plays. He's got a nice arm. I'm not knocking him by any stretch of the imagination. But I specifically tuned in to watch their running backs, both of which were drafted, one in the second round, one in the fourth round, Michael Carter to the Jets. I'm telling you, he's going to be the next Darren Sproles. Huge, huge win for the Jets on that pick. Um, Sam Howell's got to prove it to me. And we'll see if he's as good without those two great running backs that he had this past year. We'll see if this he takes a step up or he could actually take a step back. We shall see. All right, quickie timeout coming up next. We'll talk some NFL draft uh, with Eric Adom from uh, Yahoo Sports here on Birds 365. If you missed any of today's show on the Jacob Media channel, listen to the podcast on your way home. Available on YouTube, Apple, and Spotify. 
welcome to the Wildwoods, the perfect place where you can safely do everything or nothing at all. Catch a wave, take a nap, go for a drive, grab a bite. It's your vacation, and we're doing everything we can to make it a safe one. The Wildwoods, your vacation, your way. Field of life. First Trust Bank is there for you. Because Philadelphia dreams deserve a Philadelphia bank. The International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local Union 98, is a proud sponsor of The Labor Show with J. Doc and Krause every Saturday night from 6 to 8 p.m. IBEW Local 98's highly trained and superbly skilled electricians are the best in the business, setting the highest safety standards in the electrical industry. So when you're planning your next industrial, commercial, or residential project, choose an IBEW Local 98 union contractor. Learn more at IBEW98.org. The light from a star can take millions of years to reach Earth. So when you look at a star, you're looking back in time. But I see the future. I see exploration and courage. I see my country finding new horizons out there. And I see giant leaps making a comeback. I see myself. The future is where I'll make history. Jody Mack. The legendary sports talker joins forces with NFL insider John McMullen. Start your morning with Johnny Mack and Jody Mack across the Jacob Media Network. He's John McMullen. I'm Jody McDonald. Mac Mac Guys, the host on Birds. 365 here on the Jacob Media Channel. Let me remind you again, if you're watching us through the YouTube channel, if you use the link on phillyvoice.com to uh, grab Birch 365, however you did, if you uh, want to enter our contest, you do so right on the YouTube channel. You need to subscribe. If you haven't already subscribed, what the heck are you holding up? Uh, Feel free to do so. That will automatically enter you into the giveaway that we're going to have Next Wednesday. Next Wednesday is the official schedule release day in the National Football League. We already know each team playing 17, count them, 17 games this year, up from the usual 16. Give them that one more week of television and cash that billion-dollar check. Um, So Mm -hmm. every team plays 17 games next year. We know who everyone is playing. They go by a rote theory uh, that you know immediately when your season ends who you'll be playing the next season where – not when. The when part is what's coming out next Wednesday. Uh, sliding the games into the uh, schedule is always fun and uh, something that you wait on. Uh, we knew the Jets and the Eagles are going to be the Week 17 game for those two teams. And it's a uh, New York game. It's an AFC extra home game year. So the Eagles are going to have to go on the road on that one. 
on that day to get us more pumped up about the upcoming NFL 17-game season. We here at uh, Jacob Media are giving away, not one, not two, 10 Devonta Smith Philadelphia Eagle jerseys. The only way you can win is by uh, subscribing to us on the YouTube channel. If you do, you could get yourself a Devonta Smith uh, jersey. All right, we're having a little trouble hooking up with Ergenon from uh, Yahoo Sports. So, Jay Mack, I do want to touch on this. I mentioned to you before the show started, the Eagle roster. We know that they made uh, nine draft picks on draft night. We know that <laughs> they've signed seven, although some are in question as to whether they're official or not. Uh, undrafted free agents, there may be more that they're very close with, and we'll get some word on over the next 24, 48 hours. But they've added approximately 16 new guys how does the roster work at this stage of the year? Uh, you've got guys left up from last year. We're on the practice squad. Guys who've signed futures contracts. We know who most of the guys are who are assigned to uh, full-blown, full-time NFL contracts. How is the roster put together right now as per the cap, as per the limit of how many players you can have? Um, how are they dealing with the roster right now? Well, it's interesting you bring up the roster limit. Typically, it's 90, Jody, uh, the off-season roster. However, the pandemic, they skewed it back a little bit to 80. And you see this constant. The NFLPA had a conference call yesterday welcoming the new rookies who got drafted into the league, into the union. And, oh, by the way, told them not to show up for voluntary work. <laughs> so... My point is, all of this is haggling. They continue to haggle. It's a very fluid situation. Ultimately, if they go back to the regular rule, the offseason roster limit is 90. I think they're going to go back to that. Uh, but they could keep it at where it was through the pandemic, which is 80. But the most important part, uh, from the salary cap standpoint, you have something called the top 51 rule. So, only the top 51 contracts count against the salary cap in the offseason. So basically, everybody on that back end of the roster who has the lesser contracts, they don't even count against the salary cap. That People get a little skewed. Say the Eagles go out and sign a corner, whether it's Steven Nelson or Gary and Conley, and they're going to be in that top 51. Right. Um and so when you talk about salary cap space, you have to look at their contract and you don't say that takes away from the cap. It's that contract plus that what will now be the 52nd contract, the difference of that. So the top 51 rule makes things a little bit more complicated, but all fans need to know is those top 51 contracts are the ones that count against the salary cap. And the younger guys, um, they don't count until they make the team. When they make the team, obviously, you have a 53-man roster. Uh, it's got to be under the salary cap. Right. Let me ask you about some of the guys that they've signed, uh, undrafted free agents. We know the nine draft picks. We've gotten through most of them so far. Um, one guy that we haven't touched on that much is uh, Patrick Johnson, who was their last uh, pick. Are you a fan of pro football focus? Uh, yes and no. What I say about, um, I would say yes. What I, what I say about pro football focus is if, if, if they say somebody who's having, 
having a poor season, they're having a poor season. If they say somebody's having a good season, they're having a good season. Now, there's room to wrangle. I don't think they're perfect. So when you talk about their top 10 players, look, I think you can argue that some of their methods aren't perfect. But overall, as I said, if they say somebody stinks, they stink. And if they say somebody's really good, they're really good. So from that standpoint, I think they do a good job. It's funny. I, you and I have done X amount of these shows, and I've had on my, you know, on my radio shows all those times. I don't think we've ever referenced Pro Football Focus before, which surprises me um, because I think I would have noted. I feel the exact same way you do. Sometimes I'll read something to Pro Football's right and check their rankings. Go, damn, they're right. Everybody else is wrong, but they're right. I'm completely on the same page as them. This player is overrated. This player is underrated. And there'll be times where they'll come out with something and I'll say, what? How can you possibly think that about? How can you skew numbers to say this? I know what I've seen with my own two eyes and their ranking is so far off. It's ridiculous. It's amazing that I can agree with them so wholeheartedly on some things and so vehemently disagree with them on others. So you and I are in a very similar position as to our evaluation on Pro Football Focus. Whether you think they're great, whether you think they're idiotic, I did see that they had uh, Patrick uh, Johnson ranked as uh, a third-round pick in the NFL draft. The Eagles got him in the uh, the sixth pick in the seventh round. When you get a seventh-rounder and he is evaluated as a third-round pick, that's a major slip. That's a guy who felt you. That's a guy, if he can play to that level, could end up being a steal. Um, Patrick Johnson, outside linebacker from Tulane, could be a guy because the Eagles, the one thing we don't know about the Eagles is, could they actually put more stock in linebackers going forward this year? We don't know. We got to see what the new defensive coordinator's defense looks like. But they may actually put some emphasis back on the linebacker position. And maybe Johnson is a kid who can get onto the field and actually play for the Eagles in year one. Boy, I I don't know. And and I'll tell you why, Jody. One, he's not a linebacker. He was an edge rusher in college. So that's Do you one think of, they're gonna play him four three with his hand on the on the no, ground? No, they, they announced him as a linebacker. So they plan on moving him to linebacker. So number one, you're talking about a guy changing positions. So he's gonna have to learn. Well, hold on, he's some, not actually changing positions. He was a linebacker. He is a linebacker. There is a difference between being a 4-3 linebacker and a 3-4 linebacker, but they're both linebackers. Difference. Well, I call them edge defenders because I okay. think the old the old skew is, is, is wrong. So there's a big difference between an edge defender, which is what he was in college, and a 4-3 Sam linebacker, which True. would be what he was projected to be by the Eagles, I assume. And we'll have to see because I can't see him playing middle linebacker, certainly, or weak side linebacker. So I assume they're going to have him at the sand position. And that is very, very different. Um, Now, it's also a sub package role, the modern NFL. Everybody's playing nickel 60, 70 percent of the time. So that third linebacker is only on the field for a very short period of time. Maybe they can take advantage of him as a situational blitzer 
But I got to tell you, Jody, when you have linebackers on the field, offensive coaches have become very good in this league about identifying, okay, this guy's on the field. He can't cover anybody. So that's my concern with a kid like Patrick Johnson. Does he have the talent to rush the passer? Yeah, you can argue in a vacuum he should be in that third-round conversation. But you're not in a vacuum. That's one of the problems I do have with pro football focus because they're looking at the kid from an analytics standpoint. But where is he going to play at this level? He's a tweener, the old term. Now, people like to call him hybrids now. But we were talking about the kid from Notre Dame, Owuso Koromoa. Now, it turns out he had some kind of heart issue, which is the reason he fell in the draft, which makes a little bit more sense to me. But there is part of this league, and you brought it up with Isaiah Simmons. Look, terrific athlete. The Cardinals couldn't figure out what to do with him. Right. And and is he going to be – is he a better athlete than Isaiah Simmons? I got a real difficult time figuring the Eagles are going to – to find out how to use these players that are essentially hybrids, especially as later round picks, I think it's going to be really, really difficult to do, to be honest. You mentioned uh, the fact that smart coaches are able to find, create, take advantage of mismatches. Um, One thing the Eagles did not as much last year because – Let's be honest, Zach Ertz just wasn't the same player that he had been previously. Uh, but the year before, they had been good and have been previous incantations of this team, uh, been able to take advantage of other teams' defenses with 12 uh, lineups with two tight ends on the field at the same time. If Zach Ertz is going to be gone, which, oh, by the way, check another day, Go Zach Ertz still on the Eagles roster. Um, but if we are working under the assumption he's still going to be elsewhere when the camps actually open, who's the number two tight end on this team right now? Well, they got a lot of bodies, but they don't have a real uh, tight end, too. Uh, Jason Kroom was around. They signed a kid who used to be a quarterback at Buffalo. They're trying to do a Logan Thomas transition with him. Uh, Akeem Butler, people might remember uh, Doug Peterson tried to use him at the goal line last year on one play. Didn't work out very well. So they have a lot of names, uh, but they don't have a concrete option. Richard Rodgers is still out there because uh, of his lack of athleticism. He he played great last year. He made some big catches with his team. He really did. He really did. I'm, I'm surprised that Somebody hasn't signed him, but he's still out there. You could bring him back. Trey Burton's out there. You could bring him back, have a little Philly special excitement uh, for the fan base. But, yeah, they don't really have a tight end, too, right now. They signed an undrafted kid uh, who's more of a wideback. I forget his name. I'll look it up in the break. Um, More of an inline tight end, which, by the way, Jody, I think could be interesting because if you bring in an inline tight end, that means you could use Dallas Goddard, who's a great blocker. I think people don't realize. And with Ertz here, he played a lot on the line. But he's so athletic, I don't think they were utilizing him to his potential. If you bring in another wideback, they can utilize Dallas Goddard a little bit better. So maybe that's the way they go as well. And uh, the 
tight end that they signed out of Nebraska as one of their undrafted free yeah. agents is that type of a player. Uh, evaluating any tight end, more of a pass catcher, more of a blocker. You always want the answer to be, oh, he can do, he's very good at both, but that's not yeah, usually that's... the case. Usually you're better at one than the other, and supposedly the kid Stroll is a better blocking tight end than he is a pass catching tight end. So that could be something if he's good enough to move up to that uh, tight end two role, uh, that would uh, give them the ability to move got it out a little bit more often and not have him in line. Yeah, Jack Stoll is the name. So, yeah, um, exactly right. The old school inline tight end. And you're right. I mean, Dallas Goddard is probably one of the closest guys to that. Uh, as somebody, George Kittle's probably the best in the NFL. He's a great blocker. Obviously, you know what he could do as a as a receiver. But, yeah, there aren't a lot of those guys that exist. The old Mark Bavaros, he, he would be the – to me, the 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 definition of the old school inline Y back tight end who was great at both aspects of the game, but those guys don't exist anymore. They really don't. It's become such a specialized game. And how much did we talk about Mr. Pitts before uh, the actual draft? And he's a unicorn, and all these glowing descriptions of him. You're truly guilty of charges, like everybody else saying uh, he's going to be drafted the highest tight end ever drafted. And he was, and he's going to be uh, a special player, a continuous pro bowler, and maybe even a guy we're talking about canting down the line. Did you ever hear anybody ever talk about his blocking capabilities once say, yeah, Oh, by I'm the way, he needs to, if he needs to block, he can block too. I, I don't remember anyone ever mentioning his blocking strengths or weaknesses. I have, uh, believe it or not. Okay. And you, you heard more than me. By the way, Jody, most people were complimentary. They said he can't really block anybody, but he works at it. He works hard and he can get in people's way. And that's all you need in sort of the modern NFL. So most of the evaluators I talked to him were really positive about it and said he's better than you think he is. But I forget who was on. Uh, you might remember somebody made a great point that we had and he said, you know, essentially Kyle Pitts is just an oversized X receiver. Yeah. But you're getting him at, at a greater value because when you look oh, at him turning into a star. Salary, yes. Yes. Who was it who said that? Because I had yes. not even thought of that. Yeah, yeah. You know, you know the way the NFL works. Let me explain to our audience. Um uh, you believe that they're going to get a contract extension done. Yesterday was actually kind of a key day around the league because all teams had to pick up the fifth-year option on players who were drafted three years ago. That's the way the NFL works. You're a first-round pick. You sign a four-year contract. A fifth-year option is built into it for all of the first-round players. And at the end of three years, you have to make the decision, are you going to pick up the fifth-year option? I think it was like 21 out of 32 got picked up. Uh, not everyone does. Some players don't live up to what they thought they were getting when they were drafted in that first round. It's not as big story here because the Eagles didn't have a first round pick this year. That year was the year after the Super Bowl. So they had the very last pick in the first round, which they traded to the Baltimore Ravens, who used it on a guy by the name of Lamar Jackson, who's already won an MVP in this league. And yes, they did pick up the 50 year option on Lamar Jackson. 
But this is kind of a, today would have been a key day. Not as much for the Eagles as it was for everybody else around the league. But the point that you were getting at, and uh, I, I'm i as forgetful as you, I don't remember who it was. One of our very good guests noted that, yes, when you take a guy at uh, a specific position. And I think it was Connor Orr yesterday. So. Was it Connor yesterday? Yeah. Um, they're they're going to go through the four-year, and then they're going to pick up the fifth-year option. And then when you get to that sixth year, if you cannot come to an agreement on an extension, there is always the franchise tag. And the franchise tag is determined by what position you play. Well, the franchise tag for wide receivers is significantly higher than the franchise tag for tight ends. So when they get to it, if they get to it, and I don't know if they will or won't. Uh, either he could be a bust or the Falcons could play hardball negotiations or they could get a contract done and yeah. an extension and it doesn't, it becomes a moot point. But if they get there, if they need to go down the franchise tag route, the Falcons will be able to do so at a much lesser cost than they would if uh, he were a wide receiver, even though you and I both expect them to play like a wide receiver for the next five years. Yeah, and it's you're, you're probably right. I mean, if Kyle Pitts plays to the level we all think he's going to, it's not going to matter. They're going to work at an extension. Everything's going to be copacetic. But it's a nice little safety net to have in case things don't go as as you planned on the negotiating front, that you have that franchise tag at lesser money than he would if he were just labeled as a wide receiver. It's a nice little part of it. Now, from Kyle's perspective, and his agent is local here, he's a Philadelphia guy, you know, he's going to be arguing, well, he lines up outside all the time. He's really a receiver. So you can see that wrangling developing down the road. Understood. Uh, and then it goes to a arbitration hearing, and the NFL has faced this before because you have the four three linebackers and the uh, three, uh, three, four outside linebackers and the four, three pass rushers. They have a designation for defensive end as compared to linebacker. And yes, the NFL likes to pencil in guys as linebackers because the linebacker number is significantly less than the defensive end is. So uh, they've, they've gone down this road before, and this may be another fight that they're going to have uh, over the next several years. What do you really call a tight end? If teams are actually splitting tight ends out, are they tight ends or are they receivers? Uh, that That's a fight that could very well be coming. All right, John, you did mention earlier uh, about the NFLPA noting to all their new members that were just drafted by teams in the past NFL draft. Great to have you aboard. We're going to go to war for you guys. You don't know how lucky you are. You're now one of the best agents uh, in one of the best unions on the entire planet. But, oh, by the way, we're going to tell you what to do right off the bat here. Don't show up for workouts. We're trying to take a stand here. Uh, virtual was great. You weren't around, but it worked for all of our guys. And a whole bunch of taking our advice and aren't showing up for workouts. We suggest you do the same. How many rookies are actually going to listen to that? Um, I don't think they can. I mean, for, forget about the first-round picks, Jody. I mean, if you're an undrafted guy, we're just talking about Jack Stoll. I mean, what what is he not going to – oh, I'm not going to show up. The <laughs> NFL, I'm not going to give my one opportunity as an undrafted kid 
to let these coaches see me without the veterans, by the way. Right. But how crazy would that be? And that's what they're trying to tell these kids to do. I, I, I realized, look, Jody, I realized this is a very difficult position for the NFLPA. It really is. They are trying to get this sort of into the legislation without negotiating it and saying, we don't want off-season work anymore. We proved it worked last year. We don't need it. It's about the veterans. Everything's always about the stars. They don't want to come in. These young players, they need it for not only to get better, but again, also to earn a spot. Just to make the team. Yeah. So while I understand the difficulty of the union, I mean, they got to back off on this and understand at the bare minimum, the rookies have to show up. And all the NFL teams will be having rookie camps over the next week or, or this weekend or next weekend. Everybody's moving forward like they're going to happen. So until I see otherwise, I think they're going to happen. Let me ask you a uh, reporter's question. Um, when they have the rookie mini camp, I uh, don't know if the rules change. Don't know if it'll be handled differently, but as per last year, which was again, a little bit different because of uh, the COVID situation we're in, as is this year still with a bunch of protocols in place. So I guess last year is the only one you can compare it to previous to that could be completely different. Um, how much are you allowed to be there and see any of the workouts with the rookies? Is it none? Is it limited like it is during the season? You get X amount of minutes. Um, what what kind of access do you guys have? I'm not even talking about talking to players. I'm just talking about viewing any of the workouts they do. Well, uh, it is scaled back from what it once was. Uh, generally, we get to watch one day of rookie minicamp. It used to be every day. Uh, but we do get to watch uh, all of it. Uh, so it's more like a, a training camp practice than a regular season practice where we only get to watch 10 minutes or so. Um, obviously there's no contact. So um, none of that comes into play. It's all just, you know, throwing against air seven on seven, no press coverage, all the off season limitations the union has worked for. Uh, so basically you get one day to see some of the guys and, there's not much you can glean from it. I will say that. How much of a, of a disadvantage would it be for the Eagles? And this would not go well if it went down this way. That if Devonta Smith was one of those guys who said, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm going to be an NFL player and I need to listen to my union. And if other guys aren't going to be showing up for these voluntary workouts, I'm not sure that I want to show up for the voluntary workout either. On that one day that you guys are allowed in and, video cameras are allowed in and they get to showcase their number one pick that they moved up in the draft to take. And Oh, by the way, he's not there. That would not go well for the Eagles. Would it? No, let's be honest again. Rookies are rookies. Even first round picks, even top, even Trevor Lawrence, number one overall. Uh, I mean, this is very important. I've argued the, yes, does Jason Kelsey need the offseason? No. Fletcher Cox? No. Brandon Graham? No. And so forth and so on. Every rookie needs the offseason. And I mean, they need it badly. So 
from the union's perspective, they got to fight for the guys that have been there and the guys that are just starting. And that's the difference. They know, they know the rookies need the work, but so how do you, how do you come to that uh, sort of blogger head and say, okay, we understand you need these guys for at least a little bit, but you can't have these guys. It's a very difficult question. It really is. And the easiest way and the way they're trying to go is nobody show up. And I think that's just not going to work. No chance whatsoever for to have a complete across the board agreement. Yes, no rookies are going to show up. That's ridiculous. But do you think it's going to be 100% intended? I just do Devontae Smith out there. Well, the rookies, yeah. I mean, the rookies are going to come. No, not one rookie is going to say, yes, I'm going to listen no. to the union. And uh, I will uh, have my agent tell them, no, with uh, COVID still being rampant and you're giving the ability for our veteran players to not show up, uh, we're going to take the same availability and say we'll pass on uh, the minicamp. Well, the only one with the power who could do that is probably Devontae Smith. I mean, you can argue Landon Dickerson. He's not going to get cut. He's not. Nobody else would even have the power to do it or or the wherewithal to do it because everybody else has got something to prove. Um, and certainly the undrafted guys, they have no option whatsoever. No. But even, even day three picks. I mean, if we were just talking a little bit uh, about, you know, the, Patrick Johnson moving from edge rusher to linebacker, you're not going to show up for minicamp. I mean, you got no shot as right. a day three pick. So they're they're really up against it. They can't listen to the advice is basically what it comes down to. No, I was talking more about the entire league, not just the Eagles. Oh, could you well, like-, like Trevor Lawrence is not going to get affected, but you know, his leadership position, the fact that he's expected to be a leader. He's going to show up. So if the number one overall pick shows up, everybody else is going to show up. Well, I'll give you, for instance, a guy we talked about plenty already today, Kyle Pitts. If Pitts' agent tells him, you know, you could actually get a good heart in camp. Because a lot of things, let's put this on the table. A, a lot of times these guys show up without a contract in place. Oh, yeah. Negotiations more, go yeah. further than the rookie minicamp. It's usually more guys unsigned than signed. Every once in a while, you get a couple guys that get their contract done just before the camp starts because the agent's smart. If he does go out and break his leg <laughs> in uh, camp, uh, yeah, they got insurance on these guys, but it could end up costing you in the negotiation. So some guys are in there, uh, uh, too many guys are in there without a contract in place. So there might be a handful around the league to go, yeah, wait a minute. They actually want me to be on the field and run, and I could actually blow out my knee? No, 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 no. I, I was the fourth pick in the draft. A guy like Pitts, and he could say, oh, I'm just following union instruction. It might not even be that. His agent might be advising him, hey, they're 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 putting out an, uh, a loophole for us to get through so we don't have to show up and risk life and limb. Let's use it, and let's blame the union. I, I guarantee you we get a couple of those in the first round well, that yeah. go down that road. I mean, you never say never. You think about holdouts in general, which basically don't exist anymore because uh, rookies are slotted in the rookie salary cap. Um, but you still have every once in a while those five or six contracts where agents and teams are are wrangling back and forth. Usually it's about offset money 
And I've always described it as, you know, an old married couple that doesn't have anything to fight at, but it bent, it, it bent something to fight about. That's what it reminds me of because everything is slotted. You already know what everything everybody's going to make. Um, so, yeah, it wouldn't surprise me if there's a few, but it wouldn't make any sense. They would just be hurting their own careers. I hope they're getting better advice than that, but we'll see. Understood. But uh, just to uh, for our diehard Eagle fans who don't follow the mechanics of negotiations and the cap and whatever else, they're slotted, but quarterbacks are a little bit different. They don't play the same slotting game that everybody else does. There has been built in by design or just by happenstance that the quarterback's money gets elevated. Even in rookie deals, if you're a QB, you're going to get paid. You were the quarterback that was picked, uh, Mac Jones, the 15th pick in the draft last year. You try and compare what Mac Jones is going to get as far as the contract goes to whoever went number 15 last year. I don't know. It might have been a quarterback. I doubt it highly. Uh, but whoever went 15th last year, oh, I'm telling you, Mac Jones is going to get more than just that percentage increase that there usually is from year to year. It's going to be a significant jump just because he's a quarterback. Yeah, there is a built-in sort of uh, escalator for the quarterback position, and understandably so, but even that is slotted. So it's not like Mac Jones is looking for Justin Fields' money or Justin Fields is going to be looking for Trey Lance money, or Trey Lance. Oh, he's going to be looking for it, but he's not going to get it. No, I I mean, it's it's not even allowed under the union, under the collective bargaining. So that's what I'm talking about. Uh, when the slotting of the the first round picks, and you'll see you, if you go on Twitter when somebody gets drafted, one of these over the cap guys or or sport track guys will go on and say, "Here's the contract." They already know what the contract's going to be, right. um, and that has really drastically eliminated holdouts with rookie players, which is a good thing. Um, and but again, there's always a few. There's always a few that argue to argue for whatever reason. Maybe it's an agent trying to make a name and giving bad advice. I would hope, as I said, they would give the kids better advice and they should probably show up to minicamp if they want to get off on a good foot in their new new teams. That's just the way it is. And we'll see when the mini camps come out. Uh, nine new Eagle draft picks, seven new free agents, uh, undrafted free agent signings, how they're going to fit, how they're going to be able to impress. And John McMullen will get one day, the entire practice, to go in and uh, get a feel for all those guys. And then he'll be on with us the next day here on Birds 365. All right. Today's the first, Johnny Mac. Our first guest who didn't show. We yeah. unfortunately Eric, had Eric to... did uh Eric uh, we're gonna reschedule. He did get back to me. So uh just a little miscommunication about you know everything's new streaming. He thought he was getting a call where on the streaming show we send a link and you have to join the link, you have to join the show. So just a little bit of a miscommunication. Okay, we'll, we'll certainly give miss a hey. Mulligan is one of my favorite words in the English language. So if we're recording him a mulligan, I'm perfectly fine with that. We'll get him up. And John will give his best effort to see if he can wrangle Dane Brugler, who thought that the Eagles had the best draft in the entire National Football League. And he's already slotting in a quarterback to 
be selected by the Eagles in the 2022 draft <laughs> from Liberty? Okay, we'll have some fun with Dane if we can get him on. All right, partner, uh, good job today, brother. I look forward to doing it again tomorrow. Sound good? Uh, sounds good. We will, we will be, be here. Right First back here. 65. Some 22 hours from now. Come on back. Don't forget, uh, if you're on the YouTube channel, make sure you are registered. Make sure that you are eligible for our Devonta Smith's giveaway. Ten jerseys will be given away next week. you got to subscribe to the channel, and that will uh, give you the ability to jump into the contact and maybe get yourself a Devonta Smith jersey. We appreciate you tuning in to this Monday edition. We'll have a Tuesday edition for you tomorrow here on Birds 365. I think it's Tuesday to Wednesday. If you missed any of today's show on the Jacob Media channel, listen to the podcast on your way home. Available on YouTube, Apple, and Spotify. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications at TryLifeMD.com? We're now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. It's fun to put on jeans that you couldn't get into six months ago. Every morning, I look forward to getting on the scale. For anybody who's struggling with their weight, it's a godsend. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com.